0: Welcome back to The Messy Truth. In today's episode, I'm chatting to Georgie Wahlman. Georgie is a documentary photographer focusing on social injustice. Her work highlights our internalised lives and the struggles we live with mentally, physically and emotionally. What may appear dark at first glance is actually more about enlightenment. Georgie's photography seeks to educate audiences on the human struggles that often go unseen while in turn enabling her subjects to feel validated in their suffering. I'm excited to talk to Georgie about her process and what it takes to capture such vivid emotions. This is a really personal episode for me, and one that is a powerful reminder of the power of photography and its ability to bring urgent awareness to issues and communities that often go unsupported. So
1: I grew up just outside of London, uh, in Hertfordshire, And uh, my first bodies of work were on my own family, um, as photographers' works often are. So for the first ones, I I focused on my aunt and my cousins who are living with uh, learning disabilities and live on the breadline in the UK. And shooting this story, I learned a lot about how to be sensitive to my subjects and show them in their own light, which I think has carried through for the rest of my work. And um, the work was really in the edit. There are a lot of shots that I could have chosen that would have really changed the narrative of the story. So that's something I learned as well, as how important the edit was. And how did you come to photography? Kind of what does the camera represent for you? Um, I started wanting to be a writer when I was really young. Um, But I found when I kind of picked up a camera that I could capture the emotion I wanted to portray through the photographic medium as well. Yeah, so to me, the camera is more of like a tool to take universal private experiences and um, make them more seen.
0: And it feels like so much of your work is kind of about our internalised lives, kind of the struggles that we all live with mentally, physically and emotionally. Can you talk a little bit about your creative process and where ideas start for you and how you develop them?
1: Yeah, uh, so most of my ideas for projects come from my own experiences. So for This Is Endometriosis, I documented my own life and the progress of my disease before photographing others. That was more out of necessity because I wasn't able to leave the house, but um, it ended up kind of making the project work quite well. I've been lucky enough that my health has improved after six surgeries, and, um, but I did develop PTSD. And that experience kind of made me sure that I wanted to focus on mental health in my next project, which is how my series Boys Do Cry, uh, Suicide and Depression in Men got started. And yeah, my current project, uh, The Grief of Childlessness, is also born out of personal experience. And that's something I'm currently going through. And I'm going to document a self-portrait to be part of the work. But to develop ideas, I work a lot with a notebook, very old school. And I talk a lot with my subjects and ask them questions um, in the beginning to fully figure out the work and what I'm trying to say before picking up the camera.
0: Yeah, it's amazingly powerful how much words can really inform photographic practice. Mm. I think it, it can be often overlooked, but yeah, it's just so important. And really interesting that you spend time and in interview and sort of get to know and socialise with your subjects before you work with them.
1: Mm. Yeah, I find it's really important um, to figure out my shot list and just what what I'm trying to say for these people, you know. And um, yeah, I find it's a really key part of the work. And I know we've talked about this before. I discovered your work through
0: your This is Endometriosis project Mm. because, as someone who also has the disease, I found your work kind of utterly disarming in its honesty and accuracy, which is something that I haven't found anywhere else Mm. having had this disease for now. Five years and then an additional four undiagnosed and for me it really was such a powerful body of work and and working in photography for over 15 years now obviously lots of subjects touch me and I really believe in the power of photography but mm. I haven't really had that reaction that sort of visceral reaction like I had to your work because it's just so utterly personal for me and it felt like you really managed to say so much that is not captured in you know, the conversations and the coverage and, you know, a lot of the discussion around this disease, which is really underreported a lot of the time. And you've talked a little bit already about your kind of motivation behind the work, but how how did this project evolve and how did you go from kind of using yourself as a subject to speaking to other people in the community who struggle with this?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that it I, I couldn't find anything out there that, that... Uh, showed what I was going through uh, really kind of made it was a big motivation behind the work yeah, with this subject, I find it quite difficult to talk about still. So I'm sorry if I stumble in advance. <laughs> uh, please take your time. And if you want to stop at any time, please just say. Thank you, love. But yeah, I kind of, I always knew I wanted to document what was happening to me since uh, since it started when I was 13. And when it reached the peak of the disease and I was, you know, a few surgeries in, uh, I kind of knew it was time to pick up the camera and start. But the more I kind of learned about endometriosis, because as you know, you have to do a lot of your own research. The angrier I got about it and the more urgent the work felt. so like endometriosis, as I'm sure, you know, uh, affects as many people as diabetes. And yet it's dramatically under-researched and underfunded and just generally misunderstood by the general public, but also most doctors. And I knew this work needed to represent what living with endometriosis actually looked like, because like we said, like there wasn't that representation. And when you looked it up, it was kind of made up women holding their pelvis with a slight pained expression. And, you know, in reality, it was, you know, for me, and it is different for everybody and there are different severities. But um, for me, it looked like, you know, losing so much weight that I, you know, couldn't from not being able to eat that like I looked like I was dying and neighbors mistook me for terminal and the ER teams and OR teams remembered my name and I had to be carried from a bed to a wheelchair and back again and this just wasn't I couldn't see this anywhere for this disease but also really important to me it wasn't just white women and when you look it up it's often white women that are represented with endometriosis and it's misunderstood that white women suffer with it more which is not true no matter your race or gender identity if you're born with a uterus you have a one in ten chance of having the disease and it's as simple as that so that was really important to me as well to get it to get across and that was something I couldn't do by only taking myself portraits but yeah with the another thing that was really important to me was that the repeated surgeries be spoken to which is why the image of stomachs with the scars connected with pen and the dates appears so often Because currently the recommended treatment on the NHS in the UK and with insurance companies in the US is completely ineffective. And it took me three of those surgeries before finding out that the best one is called excision surgery, uh, where the disease is cut out of the body in the same way as cancer. And that's considered the gold standard treatment for the disease. But this isn't known by many, many doctors. And I only found this out due to a girl in a chat room somewhere in America and if it wasn't for her I'm not sure if I'd you know still be around so it it was really important to me that I let people know this information through my work because it really saved me personally
0: yeah and i think many other people as well as you said that image of documenting the repeat surgery is just So unbelievably powerful because that is our reality. yeah. And it's just, you know, like you said, I I mean, I've been completely shocked at how little guidance I've had from so many health professionals. And you just move between one to another to another because after a couple of years, you realize nobody is getting it and you can't re- continue to risk yourself and your wellness and the wellness and your mental health as well not just your wellness physically it sounds ludicrous but you have to literally kind of almost interview doctors trying to find one that knows how, or ha- is armed with the right information to help you and i think i must have seen five or six different doctors even when i got to specialist like consultant level to find somebody who could help me and i j- you know it's just out- it's outrageous and i'm just so grateful but even though, you know, you you must have had to really give so much of yourself into that work, I'm really grateful that you did it for the wider community, because I think you're going to help so many people. And I know when I've seen your work exhibited, people start talking about it, you're you're raising so much awareness. And I think it's so important because so many of us go years without
1: being diagnosed. So the more people are talking about this, the better. Thank you. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, Going back to the doctors, like I know within the first few minutes whether a doctor is trained enough to help me, and it's obscene obscene that I know that and and I I have no medical education, and yeah, it's just been really important that that the message get out and the message of excision surgery get out because I've been lucky enough to live in America, and even though it's crippled me financially, I've been lucky enough to see some of the best surgeons there are for this disease in New York, and um. That's completely changed my path and my life. And the NHS is fantastic, but it has its flaws and diagnostics is one of them. And yeah, it's, uh, I've been very lucky to be here and I, I just want to spread the knowledge that I've managed to gain, you know. Did you discover anything personally in making that work in terms of what photography can do when you connect to it in a very deep and intimate way? I think for me personally, the biggest thing I learned was that I wasn't alone. Endometriosis is very lonely and isolating. And I hadn't met anyone else with the severity of disease that I lived with until I started the work. So it was incredibly painful, um, but very cathartic. It's a shame, though, because I struggle to see those people now because their posture and demeanor kind of reminds me of how I used to, you know, stand and sit and walk. And it's a difficult aspect of having PTSD that seeing people I'm so deeply bonded with now is so difficult. But yeah, that's the main thing I learned.
0: Yeah I was going to say to you when your kind of research is so centered on your own experiences and your memories how do you kind of manage to navigate that and revisiting that with the sort of physical literal and the emotional weight of the subjects you're dealing with?
1: Yeah I um, I really struggle with it to be honest I find it hard to talk about the endometriosis project after all these years working on it um, which some people find surprising but it's it's Something I still struggle to talk about. But there is a wall that I manage to put up at times to be able to revisit the work or um or work on the project. But there are times that I just can't look at it at all. I avoid it on my website. It must be really tough because it's actually a project that's
0: been really celebrated in terms of the photographic community and I guess your professional world, really engaging with it. And it was in the Taylor Wessing portrait prize, I think, from memory. Yeah. And, you know, it's had all this incredible exposure and that must be tough, obviously, just kind of the pressures that come with that, which a lot of photographers struggle with. But when the work is just so utterly personal, that must be hard because obviously you you kind of want that for your professional growth, but you don't want to be having those conversations all the time.
1: Yeah, it has been a struggle and and trying to, doing the interviews in general were were a struggle, especially because I was um, so sick at the time. But the trying to follow up with people who had posted about my work or published my work with misinformation was really a struggle because I was so dedicated to there being the correct information alongside my images. And uh, so often they'll Google what endometriosis means and Google's incorrect. (laughs) Mm. So there was a lot of chasing up, which was quite challenging on my mental health. It was yeah difficult to do that.
0: Yeah, I imagine that must have been really tough. Because mm. there's a real duty of care when you're making this kind of work. Mm. I kind of wanted to talk to you about how you make pictures as well, because it feels like photography is obviously this very pure way of seeing. But your pictures have this undeniable power to communicate feeling and emotion, and emotion as the kind of primary. And I feel like this is really true in your latest work, um, "Boys Do Cry." And I wondered if you could share with us the origin of the work and why this subject matter is so important to you.
1: Yeah, so. As I said, having PTSD myself, I knew I wanted to work on something focusing on mental health for this project. And when I began researching, I found out that men die 3.5 times more than women to suicide, which I was very surprised at and surprised at how, how I hadn't found that out previously. And it wasn't in the media as much as I thought it would be. And when I started to cast, I was kind of taken aback by how many men I knew that either struggled through depression and suicidal ideology themselves or had lost a male friend to suicide. Yeah, I always remember when I was casting, um, there was a moment that really stood out to me. Uh, I went to a tire yard to cast um, and spoke to two young men. And the flyer that I was handing out said I was looking for men that were either struggling through depression and suicidal thoughts or for those that had lost a loved one to suicide. And uh, one of the lads just said, uh, I'm both of these. And the other replied with, aren't we all? And um, they didn't want to be photographed, but that really kind of spurred the work on. And uh, yes, stuck with me.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's very intense. It feels kind of odd to talk about these people as your subjects because they're not really your subjects. They're kind of Mm. parts of these communities that you are emotionally tuned into it's not that typical relationship between a photographer and subject it's much more personal than that mm. so how do you go about finding your subjects when the subject matter itself is so so delicate and personal and having been somebody who knows what it means to be photographed and means you know to be on the other side of that lens how do you kind of navigate that with your subjects
1: yeah so I've I've got a, a... You know, a small following on Instagram, which uh, I'm lucky to have. So I cast through Instagram first, and that um, often brings me some some subjects, which uh, is great. Um, And they'll often be friends of friends or uh, things like that. So that that's always nice. And uh, depending on how many subjects I find that way, or usually either way, I will always put out posters in my local area because because I have health problems myself. I find it hard to travel, so trying to find people who are close by is always really helpful. But it's been surprising to me how many subjects have stepped forward after seeing one of my posters. I also find just having open conversations with people I meet about what I'm working on and why uh, when I'm asked has led to meeting many people. It's strange how many people you may know that are going through similar situations as yourself. I think so much goes unsaid in today's society that we, uh, if we start breaking down those, those barriers and being honest about what we're experiencing, we find we have uh, so much in common with each other.
0: That so feels like the true ethos of your work, really, mm. and really about breaking down those barriers and, and building community through photography feels like the absolute essence of what you're trying to do, in my eyes anyway.
1: Yeah, it has a lot to do with representation as well. Like I think seeing yourself in, in media is so important. And if there's a gap there where there's not enough representation, I just think it's really important as a photographer to try and fill that gap.
0: Yeah, I really agree. I think it's where photography can be really transformational in terms of our society and our social and Mm. political sensibilities, for sure. Going back to the importance of sort of writing and text in your work, there was text pieces to accompany these portraits of these men, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, there was. Um, I wanted to give the men a space in the work to express themselves. That's kind of always been important in my projects, but I really wanted to do it in handwriting this time. And uh, mainly the notes notes focus on what helped comfort them in their lowest times. And it was, you know, both beautiful and heartbreaking to see what they wrote down. Some men used like things like natural light or art uh, to help them, whereas some had crutches that were darker, uh, like Jacob, who was comforted by having uh, 44 painkillers hidden in drawers around his bedroom, uh, one in each corner in case they were found. That was a difficult one. The note that always gets me the most is Brighton's to his friend Stockton. Uh, Stockton was a young gay man living in Utah in a Mormon community who uh, took his own life as part of a suicide patch with uh, two other young gay men. And uh, Brighton, who is also gay, uh, has recently left the community and moved to New York. And uh, when I met him, his fragility was, you know, really palpable. And his note reads, I wish they knew there was more. So that really got me.
0: Yeah, that's really, it's unimaginable. How is he doing now? Are you still in touch with him?
1: I am, yeah. He's doing well. He's doing well. Um, He's settling in New York, so, and he's been visiting home, so I think he's doing well. That's good to hear.
0: There is a real responsibility with image making, isn't there? Especially when you're creating work in collaboration with people who are vulnerable, even if they're vulnerable to themselves.
1: Do you feel a lot of pressure to navigate that? Yeah, I do. I do. I um, I feel a lot of pressure in general and also on the shoot day, like to make sure that I don't push them too far or um, make sure that the whole experience is, you know, okay for them. I'm very aware of that.
0: How do you create that environment where they feel kind of comfortable?
1: Um, So I use music a lot in my shoots, to help them get in the right mindset. And I, you know, always make them a cup of tea, have a chat first, you know, and um, do kind of the easier shots first, and then work our way up to the more emotional ones. Yeah, it's a process. Do you plan a lot of your shoots out ahead of time? Do Do you go in with specific ideas about what you want to create? I do. Yeah. I, um, I kind of write down the shots that I imagine while I'm speaking with my subjects, but it will kind of evolve, um, and, and change depending on, you know, the light and, and also it's, it's a very collaborative experience. Like, so I'll, um, ask them to recreate moments for me that they would do privately at home. And, those moments might evolve and change, and it might, you know, change much further than I had thought I would originally shoot. You know, in my notes.
0: You're listening to the Messy Truth: Conversations on Photography. It feels like, as well, there's a real political thread to your work, whether that's about advocating for those who are marginalised by health or those who are marginalized for just being who they are and it feels like uh your work to thy own self be true the portrait series on trans lives in america is really an emblem of that and i wondered if you could talk a little bit about that work
1: yeah so uh at the time uh trump was banning transgender people from the military and generally rolling back trans rights and protections and there was a lot of hatred in the country as there has been for always been and um I wanted to photograph the individuals affected by this hate and give a space for them to tell their own stories. So when the work was published, it, each of my subjects were interviewed and had their own experiences alongside the portrait. And that part of it was really important to me. The uh, I ran the colour red through the work as a reference to the things that kind of make us human. Love, and blood and passion and things like that. So that kind of you know harks back to the political thread of it
0: does the work feel political for you? Do you feel like the political agenda of it is is an important part?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely what inspired the work. Yeah. And I'd love to ask you some questions about
0: the process of image making and photography kind of more generally. And I wondered for you, how do things change in the process of making the work compared to the original idea you might have had?
1: Yeah, so... The projects will often grow and develop um, as I discover what I'm trying to really say. Things like the names to the series will often come out of the work, uh, usually from a tattoo of my subjects or something that someone said to me while I was shooting them or researching with them. The colour palette is something that will come clear about the third shoot of every body of work and uh, the meanings behind that colour palette become clear and that's always very important to me, the meanings behind the colour palettes. Can you talk a little bit about the meanings behind the different color palettes and how you think
0: about that? That sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. So with this is endometriosis, the colors were very much based on hospital wards. Um, So there was a lot of white, uh, very clinical, which some people were surprised at for work that was so dark to have so much white. But I wanted that sterile environment. And I was always surrounded in white and white sheets and white walls and whether in hospital or at home. And then I brought in some light blues and grays and greens and just those kind of pastels that you often see in hospital wards. For Boys Do Cry, I I really didn't want to go blue because I was like, you can't do blue for depression and blue for boys. It's too typical. But then every house I went to, it was blue, like all their stuff was blue. So I just resigned myself to it and um, did a blue series but I really loved the richness of the colours in that in the end and yeah the red that ran through the trans story and there's a lot of golds in the um, the project on my family which um, I haven't really got a meaning behind that But uh, yeah that's a colour that runs through. So almost colour becomes
0: beyond an aesthetic device and it's more of like a character in the work
1: yeah it really is uh for my next project the grief of childlessness I've decided to go with whites like pastel pinks and pastel blues for you know the baby color Mm. so it will it will be subtle but um but yeah those are the colors that I've kind of mapped out are you comfortable talking about that project
0: or is it something that's still very much in development
1: yeah yeah it is still very much in development I've I've shot um a Three subjects so far for it, and I'm going to photograph myself for it when I find my uh, shutter release button. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a combination of portraits and the uh, things that are triggering to each of my subjects. So to me, it will be a self-portrait, and that will accompany a picture of a head of curly blonde hair because that's the colour and type of hair my child would have very likely have had. And, uh, it'll also be an empty sonogram because I had to have a hysterectomy. So, and I still have to have regular sonograms and, uh, for endometriosis. And that's that's something that I find very difficult to look at. And, um, I've asked my subjects to bring things their, you know, their triggers. So there's things like a balloon that says happy mother's day that I've photographed and, uh, children's toys, um, being held by my subject, things like that. It's such an important subject matter.
0: I feel like nobody really talks about this. I work for a, a feminist, a small feminist independent magazine in London called Repost, and we did an event about motherhood and the things that aren't talked about, and part of that was talking about people who want to be mothers but are unable to, and it was an incredibly powerful event and so cathartic for those women who were able to actually voice these experiences because society is just not conducive for women to talk about most things let alone the things that really plague us and really you know really torment us for various reasons and I just think again I I just can't even imagine how challenging that must be to be so vulnerable and I'm so in awe of your ability to do that. I think, again, I can just see it being a project that's going to be so powerful and really change things for other people and give them a sense of solidarity and community when they feel so alone.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a grief that I don't think is really talked about very much. And it certainly wasn't anything that was, you know it wasn't spoken about with me, the you know, the grief that would would come afterwards. And it's been surprising since I put out my casting, how many people that I knew that are going through infertility and they've never spoken about it to me and they only reached out because of the casting. So, yeah, I think it's really important work and um, I'm looking forward to making it. It's going to be hard, but uh, I think it will be good. Do you work on one project at a time because of how
0: sensitive the subject matter is or are you working on multiple projects
1: usually yeah I do have I think I'm gonna have two on the go one a bit lighter um I haven't decided what but uh something to uh, keep it a bit lighter (laughs) but uh yeah I think um I'll start on two when I um I'm moving home to London and I think I'm gonna start on two when I get back but for for usually yeah it's one at a time apart from my project pound for the meter the one on my family which I've been doing for many many years now that's ongoing yeah and how how do you like to direct when you're
0: shooting are you somebody who's doing a lot of talking or is it more kind of quiet and waiting do you let your subjects know when you're going to take the photograph
1: yeah um so like I said before I use music a lot um to help them get in the mindset and um Lately, I I talk less. I used to talk a lot more, but I just prompt my subjects to go kind of deeper into the emotion that I'm asking them to recreate for me. And uh, I will be encouraging and let them know how well they're doing. But other than that, I try not to speak. I kind of give my my subjects movements to shift between so they can move while I shoot. And it limits the need for me to keep speaking and breaking the atmosphere. But when i used to shoot models back in london i would talk a lot and keep them talking and it was a great way to get natural expression out of the lads but this has changed as my work's become deeper it's um i've become quieter
0: <laughs> have you really felt that transition in the work becoming deeper i wonder yeah how organic it's been
1: it's something that i i got into the fashion industry loving you know trying to tell true stories and the thing that I missed in the fashion industry was the the truth behind it because however you know real I made it look and and I really tried to do that it was still a model on a set and even if we shot in the model's home and and street cast it was still interfered with and there was stylists and makeup artists and I um Yeah, I I just kind of transitioned into what I really deeply loved, which was documentary and photojournalism.
0: And it feels like a lot of your work really acknowledges suffering and pain in such a profound way, and in a way that society continues to tell us to hide those moments and those emotions or find a quick fix for. And I wondered, because for me, that makes your work more vital than ever. And I wondered what the experience has been for people when they see the work, both the people who might relate to the work in a personal way, but also those who come at it from a place of no personal experience or no knowledge of the subject matter. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, um, at times I struggle to place the work um, because it's, it's a bit too heavy for a lot of publications. But I actually had a portfolio review recently where they referred to my work as not being dark, but enlightening, which I really liked. Um, Mm. That made me happy. But the work has been met with really great feedback and from people that, you know, feel validated in their suffering, which is really important to me. Like I said before, I think it's so important to see yourself reflected in the media. And that's something I always work towards. And I've had some really good moments of validation myself through the projects that have really stayed with me. There was one uh, self-portrait I put out on Instagram and my website showing a scar where I had bitten off part of my finger as a kind of desperate moment of trying to cope with severe chronic pain. And uh, someone left a comment saying, I do this too. I thought I was the only one. And uh, I also thought there was no one else that coped in this way and I felt very strange for doing it. And um, it really stuck with me that someone else had reached out, you know, that had gone through the same thing. Do you find Instagram a really positive place
0: because of the nature of your work and, and the casting and how you kind of are in conversation with your followers and your community? I
1: do. Yeah, I, I think it, it has become really important to the work. And I mean, the. I used it to create a social media campaign. So with the main shot of my project, the endometriosis project, and the shot that was in the Taylor Wessing, it was a shot of my stomach with the scars connected with a line and um, all dated with the times that they were reopened. So I asked um, people around the world to do the same and connect and date their own scars. And we got kind of submissions from around the world and it was you know it got some good press pickup and things like that but it was so amazing to connect with all these people and yeah so I've I've found Instagram to be really positive actually for for me
0: that's good that's really nice to hear Mm. because I think there's a lot of damage it does so I think when it does do you know does have positive outcomes. It's really important to celebrate it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think personally, I, I only follow photographers, um so my own experience of of Instagram has been has been really good because I just get inspiration and then connect with uh, people who are having similar experiences to me. But I think there are many many downsides to Instagram, especially for the younger generation. And I'd love to go back to what you were saying earlier in terms of it can be hard to sometimes place the work
0: because of the tone of the subject matter. Mm how does that affect you in terms of navigating your career you know having some of those barriers and having to find different ways to navigate your sort of professional development
1: yeah it's been tricky um trying to find my way into the commercial kind of arena has been tricky with the the kind of heaviness of my work it's it's all about kind of finding clients i guess that line up with your kind of your ethos and your um your ideas and uh and that's something that I've been struggling to do a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of, it hasn't really changed the way I work yet, but um, it might have to <laughs> if I'm going to make a, a decent living. Yeah, it's it's a hard challenge,
0: right, that so many photographers deal with for many different reasons. But this this path of navigating, doing the thing that you love, that you're drawn to do with mission, but also being able to do it in a way that can pay the bills and keep you sustained Mm. it's just an ongoing challenge and it's interesting to see how things are shifting because I think work we're going through a time where you know from the 90s decadence and like it you know when the work was everything but based in reality it was so based in fantasy I feel like we're seeing a real shift now back into people just yearning for work which is more honest Mm. and more direct and you know more human we can all relate to work like that and we I think people are really pushing against having to wear these masks and be these people that we feel like we're meant to be but actually that's not who we are Mm. and so I feel like there's more humanity kind of seeping back into the commercial world slowly but surely and I think that can only be positive both for photographers but also for the culture and for people who are interacting and consuming those pictures it's just so important to bring a bit more truth back
1: into the world yeah I completely agree um yeah when it comes to subject matter and everything down to photoshop I just think bringing some some real you know honesty and um yeah and some truth back is is so important
0: have there been any other hurdles that you've
1: had to kind of navigate or reconcile along your career? I think uh, just working with the PTSD and making this as endometriosis was very challenging. But yeah, to be honest, going back to the financial element, that's something I struggle with a lot. You know, as, as you know, a lot of publications won't pay for the work. So funding often comes through small grants upon completion, but the work takes years to create. So it's uh, it's a difficult
0: one to balance. Yeah, I think there needs to be a much bigger conversation about sustainability in the industry because I think it actually affects people in lots of different parts of the industry. And I think if you're operating like many people do, where you're making personal work and also shooting in an editorial context, I mean, often those editorial budgets are so small. They don't cover film, let alone the production and in terms of like having anything left, which you know would be your salary for that work and i think you know if 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 that was happening in other industries we'd be outraged but for some reason it's become this acceptable norm that people feel like they can't push back against or we can't change and i just feel like you know that that has to change it's just yeah it's just really perpetuating a cycle of impossible debt for photographers at all stages in their career
1: and i think it's just you know it's we've just got to find a solution for that it's not sustainable absolutely I mean photography is a very expensive um industry to be in and uh and just just simple things like the the travel to get to your subjects houses and and that adds up and um and yeah and all the hours worked and uh yeah it it's um it's a very expensive game to be in
0: I'm curious, actually, about your experience on the other side. And you're, you used to be the editor of Boys by Girls magazine.
1: Mm. How,
0: was, how was that? And did that inform your photographic practice in any way?
1: Yeah, so I learned a lot uh, with regards to photo editing and commissioning, which is something that I'm interested in and, 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 and looking to get more into. But as I you know, contributed to the magazine myself, um, many of the models I shot were male. I kind of found that it was easier to get what I wanted out of male models than female models. And I managed to pull more emotion and natural expression out of young men than young women, um, with women kind of tending to hide behind a pose, especially young young female models. And I think this helped me find find my style and my love for unguarded emotion quite early on. Wow, that's really powerful. It's a really great magazine,
0: actually, that I don't think gets enough attention compared to the quality of its output. Mm,
1: it's great to have the female gaze and uh, to to see young men kind of portrayed in a different way. Yeah, for sure. I think it's been really important.
0: So much great work coming out of that magazine. I'm curious how you vision your future for your work and your practice and how you define success and what you feel that looks like for you. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I've always wanted to have a solo show, which would be really important to me and a book to accompany it. And I think. You know, for the endometriosis project, that could be really powerful or p- potentially the um, the male project as well. It's projects that kind of need to be seen, I think, that would be good to to try and get out there. I'd love to get into the National Portrait Gallery again, as it's always been like the biggest dream for me. And I've been going since I was a child and buying every every book every year. And um, when my piece was exhibited in the Taylor Wessing, I was uh, unfortunately not well enough to fly and go see it. So uh, seeing my work in that gallery would be a massive defining moment for me. So, yeah, those and financial stability.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a big one.
1: (laughs) And to finish up, I wanted to ask you what matters more, the experience or the final photograph? Uh, So for me, it's the final photograph. Um. The experience is like a private moment between myself and my subject. And um, but the outcome is something that can give back and like validate for people. And the picture is so personal to everyone who views it as well. Like uh, everyone will see it in their own way. And um, so at the end of the day, like my experience ends up not being that relevant um, to the to the final outcome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time, Georgie. It was really, really interesting
0: to find out more about your work.
1: Thank you, Gemma. It's been really great to talk to you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at jemfletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long.